Now, the tricky thing about this is at the foot of the page, B. Negative commands. Now, what do we mean, first of all, by negative commands? By negative commands, we mean telling somebody not to do something. So don't look at me like that. Don't get out of the chair. Don't go over to the dean of students' office. Those are negative commands. What I have here in paragraph B had been seen by people since the late 19th century. And that is this, <clears throat> that you use may plus a present imperative to, you, to prohibit an action already uh, engaged in. So for example, if I say this, don't keep reading, don't read on, don't look at me like that, all right? Don't sit there just like that. That's all may plus the present imperative. So this would be like this. May plus lipet. Stop leaving that stuff behind like you're doing. Stop it. Now here's the oddity, and this is what Gibbs was trying to give you a little bit of a feel for in chapter 28. Turn the page. May plus the focus on the action, or the aorist, is used to prohibit the commencing of an action. So, look up at me. So if I were to do this, I would say like this. Don't get out of that chair. Well, you're not trying to, but that's prohibiting a future action. Okay? Don't look down again at that book. Well, you're not looking down again. You're looking at me. Don't go over to the dean's office while well, you're sitting there. You're not going there. That's may plus the heiress. But get this point in your mind. It's a total oddity in Greek. It doesn't use may plus the heiress imperative. And there have been a lot of conundra about this. Why is this? It is may plus the heiress subjunctive. So if I would say this. Don't leave the cloak behind. I gotta say, me lipes, not me lippe. Me lipes, not me lippe. Not me lippe. Are there any exceptions to this in the New Testament? To what? To the fact that you use me plus the aorist subjunctive for a negative imperative, not may, here, let me put this up. This would be may plus the aorist imperative. That's not what Greek does. See, may plus the aorist imperative. Instead, they do this. Are there any uh, uh, exceptions to that? Of course there are, and how many are there? <laughs> <laughs> One for each of us. <laughs> okay. There are precisely 11. <laughs> and and uh, uh, <clears throat> there are two in the Sermon on the Mount. And then <clears throat> there are a couple in Jesus' apocalyptic discourse in, uh, in Matthew 24. Um, and then the parallels to those in Mark and Luke. But... Um, uh, 
this is exceedingly rare that this rule is broken. It is so interesting. Uh, may plus the present imperative is the way you do a negative command. May plus the ARS subjunctive is the way you do a negative command with the ARS stem, not may plus the ARS imperative. So look at the forms I have on the board. This is correct. May plus the ARS imperative, but this is, so I'll put a check there. This is correct with the subjunctive, not with this one, not with that one. And that's why that was even introduced in chapter 28. See, because you can't do plus the may, a may plus aorist imperative. But I think pedagogically, I'm going to change this in the book in the next edition and just kind of forget to talk about that and put it, put it back into, and into this chapter here. Yes? He said, other than that. So you got to just repeat it to people who do that. Uh, no, there is not. There is not. Now, <clears throat> I would think in the cases in Matthew 24, where he says, let him who is on the housetop not come down to take his cloak. It's probably emphatic. It's like saying, I don't ever want you to do that know-how. You know, you start using wrong grammar to make a point. So that's probably one of it. The other one in the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, uh, which is interesting, let your right hand not know what your left hand is doing. Now, I don't know why somehow, I, I don't know why that would be so emphatic. You know, I'm not sure what to tell you about that. But almost nobody notices this kind of anomaly here. Uh, but uh, there are only very few of them. It's strange how much that was not, uh, not broken. I, I, I want to go on here, guys. Uh, we'll take your questions later. Uh, now, this next part is very important. What I have shown you here about these commands, and especially about the negative commands, this means don't continue on, this means don't start it only applies in specified cases. When we are in policy situations, no longer applies. And this is one of the reasons why the great New Testament scholar at Cambridge, C.F.D. Mole, who was there when I was there, and I did a lot of work with him, said in his idiom book of New Testament Greek that something like 40% of the cases of the imperative seem to be non-explicable, non-understandable, according to current theories of how the language works. That's why I took up the topic. I thought, well, that's a good challenge. Kind of see, <laughs> see why that would be. And a lot of it revolves around precisely the point that I'm making right now, that if you do not, um, <clears throat> if you do not, Make the distinction between specified case and policy command. You keep getting screwed up because there are so many of these examples where clearly it doesn't mean stop it. 
So in a policy situation, what's, what's the case then? You were on page 219. Remember 219 to the top of 20? And this was all about the, the commands of specified case. Let's just review this before I have you turn the page. Top of page 219. 72% of all positive commands are aorist. The presents have whoop-de-doo. That's the simplest way to say it, OK? Presents have whoop-de-doo, aorist don't. Negative commands, the may plus the aorist imperative says stop it. Let me put this up here. Stop it. This says, next page at the top, don't start it. Now, look at paragraph 2 on page 220. Paragraph 2, page 220. Most authors use either present or aorist forms consistently in their policy commands. That is to say, either they use the present stem or they use the aorist stem for all of their long-standing policy commands. As a result, there is no distinction like this in negative commands. Here's another way to put it. In policy commands, you're thinking of always and never. Always walk in the ways of the Lord. Never do the work of Satan. All right? I'm going to repeat this. If it's a policy command, the positive commands are going to be always, and the negative commands will be never. So you're not going to have 72% being aorist, the others doing some whoop-de-doo. In the negative, one says stop it, the other says don't start it. Uh-uh, it's simpler than that. It's just always and never. Now, I reached this point principally for this reason. In policy commands, there seem to be way too many present imperatives. There seem to be way too many present stems used. That is to say, either you were putting in all kinds of whoop-de-doo all the time, or you kept saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, and the people weren't doing it. So it occurred to me that this was really the case. If they were using a present stem for a policy command, they were just connecting the action to the person. Say, always do that. Or, never do that. Always do it, never do it. I'm not commenting whether you ought to begin to, whether you ought to stop it or something, but it's just always do it, never do it, depending on whether it's positive or it's negative. Now, look what I say here, under 2A. Most authors, and especially encompassing Paul, Luke, and John, which are huge amounts of the New Testament, right? Paul has all the letters, Luke has Acts as well as uh, Luke, and John has the epistles as well as the Gospel and the book of Revelation. They normally use the present forms for policy commands or imperatives. 
So, most authors, when they get into policy command mode, you're going to see a string of present stems. It'll be present imperative for positive, may plus the present imperative for negative. And you translate it as always and never. B. A few authors use aorist forms for policy imperatives and prohibitions. In particular, 1 Peter and Matthew. And in both of these books, this has been an untold source of problems for commentators. They can't figure, especially in 1 Peter, why there are all of these aorist imperatives and they seem to be, to, to people, like specified case. Answer is, because Peter has chosen by policy to use aorist stems throughout for his policy commands. And Matthew does that principally as well. Now, what might be the difference? Why might a person choose a present stem for policy commands as opposed to an aorist stem for policy commands? Well, I discussed this quite a lot in the dissertation, but here's sort of the distilled answer. If you are wanting to attach the command to the person and make it a policy for him, you use the present stem. It connects the command to the person. If, however, you are viewing those commands a little bit more abstractly and in a detached manner, not really just applicable to you guys, but to anybody, then you use the aorist. So, for example, if somebody were to say something like this, um, I mean, this is a bad example in our context, but I'll use it. Let's just say that Joel wanted to join the Masonic Lodge. All right? And, uh, and he said something like, well, if you join the lodge, then what does a person have to do? And you've got a set of rules. Don't give away the secrets. Always be kind to your fellow lodge members, yada, yada, yada. All right? But those are sort of the rules of the organization. They're not just rules for you. They're the rules. When you're thinking of your commands as the rules, you use the aorist. When you are actually addressing a person and talking about a policy command for him or them, then you use the present. Now, I got onto this by checking the Septuagint. Because interestingly enough, many of the apodictic kind of commands in the Hebrew are in either the future indicative or the aorist stem. In general, the big time commands in Exodus and Deuteronomy are not stated in the Septuagint now with the present imperative. They use the aorist imperative or the future. Now why is that? Hey, these are the laws. Not just for you guys I'm talking to, but for all generations. So when you have the concept that what you're saying as a policy command is something that transcends who you're talking to, so to speak, that it's the rules of the organization, that will be in the aorist. 
Whereas if I'm just talking, I'm going to say, guys, look, and I want you all, as you conduct your ministries now, always pay attention to what your people are saying. Never use the office for your own gain. And I'm kind of talking to you. Now I would use the present imperatives. Policy. And you notice how I even said that. Always do this. Never do this. I'm not commenting on starting it and stopping it and all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas, if one of you were to come and to say this, how does one actually do the Eucharist? You say, okay, let, let me tell you. Here is how it, it is done. Call the people to the altar. That, you know, now I'm giving you kind of how you do it, and it's not basically you. It's that abstract consideration of the rules. Interestingly enough, in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of the imperatives are heirs as policy commands because it's the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there's one last thing, and that is an interesting thing that a couple of authors before I did my research uh, kind of uh, discovered and alerted me to, and I did further study on this. And that is this, that commands to God, whether or not they are specified case or policy, are always in the heirs. Commands to God are always in the heirs. <clears throat> there are 28 commands to God in the New Testament. There are a couple of exceptions of them. How many? <laughs> Wrong. Two. Give me one. All right. Cheap, cheap, cheap. All right. What are we at? 28, 22. Okay. Right. <clears throat> Where are they? <laughs> um, <clears throat> commands to God are in the errors. They were not in the aorist in secular Greek. Commands to God were in present or aorist according to a pattern just that's normal. In the Septuagint, we start seeing the move to using the aorist stem for commands to God. This has continued and developed in the New Testament, and it has continued to the point where all of the Greek Orthodox liturgies only use the aorist stem in addressing God for, for commands. Lord, have mercy. That's a command. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Um, when we do our Father who art in heaven, let your name be hallowed. That's a third person imperative. It ought to be hallowed. You're not commanding the name. You're talking to God, but you're talking about the name. Let me take a look. at the middles and passives. The middles and passives. These were all active. <clears throat> Middle and passive will go like this. Second person. 
Oddly, there is a strange accent on the middle there, lipu. But this is the odd second person singular. So this is now present, middle, passive. Present. Present, middle, so-called present, middle passive. So you would have here lipu, lipaste, and then lipu, lipaste. <clears throat> that would be leave for yourself or be left. Now, what would you get for second person <coughs> for the, uh, uh, this is mid, well here, this is middle. This is middle. If you're taking this down, change that. This is middle passive. Middle, of course, from third principle part is only middle. So we'll do that as middle. And then I'll move over to this board here. And I'll do present. Uh, uh, present passive and aorist passive. Well, present passive is going to be identical. Lipu and that. Okay, now, this one is going to come <coughs> off of a life thing. From lipo, it's going to come off of a life thing. So, what do we do? We've got to take off what? And what happens now is this. Life theta and life theta. Second plural is always easy enough. It's always easy enough. But look at this ending right there. Life theta. Life theta. <clears throat> life theta is uh, uh, is this is an active ending here. Because aorist passives always use active endings. And so that would be like, be left. Be left behind. Second person singular, aorist passive. And then this is the uh, second person plural, aorist passive. So of course, in the present stem, the middle and passive share the same form. In the aorist stem, they do not share the same form. <clears throat> Everything I've put up for you on the board here, everything I've put up is second person. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to erase the material in between. <clears throat> and now I'm going to put up, I'm going to draw a line right here. I'm going to put up third person. Third person imperatives. So present is on top of the line. Aorist is below the line. Let's make sure everybody understands what I've got here. These are now the active, middle, and passive. <coughs> Above the line is present. Below the line is aorist. 
Now I'm going to do third person. Let's take a look at these forms. Rather cumbersome forms. Lipeto. Lipetosan. Lipeto. Lipetosan. Here, lipeto. Lipetosan. All right, now here, for third person, lipestho, note the similarity, lipestho-san. So instead of to-to-san, you have stho-stho-san. Now, you can see the analogy here. Look at second person plural. Ste instead of te. So where there was a tau, there's a sigma theta. And the same thing here. Look at tau, tau, tau. Here, st, st, st. It's the same formation. And we're going to have here lipeto and lipetosan. Lipetosan. Okay, now what about in the passive? Third person, lipesto, this will be identical again. Lipesto-san, that's not a problem. Yes? On the middle? Yes? Wouldn't it be, for the third person, wouldn't it be the sigma theta? On the aorist? For third person, bottom form. Oh, here, yes, 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 yes. Uh, wait a minute, we're at middle? Yes. That's correct. Thank you very much, Russ. You also said something different than you wrote on third person passage. And what is that? Uh, you said lipestosan, I believe, and you wrote lipestosan. Oh. All right. Good. Lipestosan. Every once in a while, this goes wrong. I have to make it. Let's get the right one. Got to hit myself with the brick. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that's hard to do, Dave, you're going to find this. <clears throat> you can develop it over the years, but here on this one, I made that mistake. If you've never done this before, for those of you who have not been teachers, is writing something on the board and saying something different than you're writing is something that's a hard skill to develop. But every once in a while, you go bad, you know? And that's what happened on this one right here. So I'm you know, saying stuff, but writing something different than I'm saying, and then it goes off. So uh, look it over here at the, at the third person of the aorist passive. Life theto, life theto san. Now, I'm, I'm concentrating on that one, because I want you to see how the aorist passive takes active formation. See, it uses the to-tosan endings, and those are the 
active endings. To, tosan. Those are the active endings. So, he won't get in the van. Let him be left behind. See? Let him be left behind. He ought to be left behind. That would be a third person imperative passive. Now remember with these forms. I've done the strong forms for you. Remember for these forms. The only difference, the onlyest difference, between the forms above the line and the forms below the line is aspect. The ones above the line are so-called present. The ones below the line are so-called aorist. So the ones above the line are focused on connection. The ones below the line are focused on the action. It's the only difference. There's no difference in time, no difference in time frame at all. They are only differing from one another in terms of aspect. So remember the third person. I'll put a three here also. Remember the third person forms are also the ones where you use the let formulation. And the let formulation is not asking for permission. It is commanding someone who is not present or unknown. Now I want you to notice that the second person singular, I think this is always true, the second person singular is a form you simply got to pay attention to. The second person plurals are identical to second person plurals. And frankly, for my money, the third person forms, they're either to-to-san or they're sto-sto-san, which are a unique kind of ending. It's these babies here that are strange. And unfortunately, second person singular is the imperative that occurs probably more than any other, although to be honest with you, second person plural occurs.